Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltoona.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Hey everyone, welcome again to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek and I'm so glad you've joined us today. Uh, If it's your first time, I especially want to welcome you. I certainly hope this is a beneficial time for you and I'd love to catch up with you and maybe get some coffee sometime. Uh, Feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm going to begin, last week was Easter. Uh, and so this is a, you know, the, the week after Easter and I'm still pretty jazzed and I hope you are for the, those of you who were able to be in person, you know, we baptized four people. And for those of you who are not, Hey, we baptized four people last Sunday and it was uh, amazing. So I'm still really excited about what's going on. Uh, and we're going to begin a new series today. So I'm excited about that. I want to tell you a story about something that happened the other day. I was in Ohio Uh, And I was driving this car and we stopped at a stoplight and I just looked off to the side of the road and there was this guy walking his dog. And as I looked closer, something about it didn't seem right. So he's walking this dog, but like the the leash was super tense. There was like all this tension on the leash. And as I looked closer, uh, (coughs) I I realized that, that the guy was trying to go and walked the dog, and the dog had just sort of stopped and was looking at traffic and looking at all the things around. And sometimes the dog would try to walk backwards or go go a different way. And the guy clearly wanted to go on this walk. And the dog really wasn't being much help. And, and, you know, there were clearly just issues of speed and direction. Uh, and, and, And the man and the dog were clearly not trying to accomplish the same thing. And I laughed, and I'm sure you would have too if you had seen it, until I had this realization that I think a lot of times that's what it looks like for me and you to follow Jesus. You know, that that a picture of you and I walking with God a lot of times probably looks the same, that, you know, God is on his way somewhere, and, and you and I are, you know, looking around, staring at traffic, walking the other way, and meanwhile God is like, let's go, come on, let's go that that's probably a picture of us a lot of times, right? That we're all over the place and we too have issues of speed and direction. Would you agree that that probably is a good picture of us walking with God? And so we're going to begin a new series today that I'm calling Keep in Step. It's a series aimed at helping us lean into our core value as a church of joining what God is doing, that this is a core value of ours. And as we look today, what we're going to talk about is what I believe God has for us going forward as a church. Um, The title for this series comes from Galatians 5, which is the text that we're going to use today. And the message today is called, A People Who Keep in Step. Would you pray with me and then we'll turn to God's word? So Lord, we do welcome you into this time and into this space. And God, I do pray that we would be a people who are sensitive to your spirit, a people who accept the invitation to go with you and to stay in step with the spirit. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see what you're doing, ears to hear your voice. 
And God, I pray that you would empower me to speak as I should. Put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to uh, Galatians 5, beginning in verse 13. If you have a device, you can go there as well. And as you're doing that, I want to give you a little bit of context, okay? Galatians is a letter that Paul is writing to a church that he planted. And when he was there, he planted the church and he said, the way to be saved is grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That That's it. It's not grace plus something else. It's not Christ plus something else. That it's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That's the only way to salvation. And, and the, the Galatian people believed and they became a church following Jesus. And then Paul went on his missionary journeys and there was another crew of people called Judaizers who showed up and said, you know, Paul didn't tell you the whole story. There's actually more to this. You know, you have to become Jewish people if you want to be saved. Yeah, grace, faith, Christ, we get it. All that stuff is great. You have to become Jewish. And so you have to, to be circumcised. You have to keep the law and, and just become completely Jewish in order to be God's people. And so Paul writes this letter and he says, listen, if you become Jewish, you will have abandoned the gospel. It's contrary to the gospel to become Jewish, to become the people of God. And so that's where we pick up Galatians 5, beginning in verse 13. Uh, and here's what we read. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's important to remember as we read this passage that Paul is talking to Christians. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's not talking to people out in the world. He's talking to people who claim to follow Jesus. That's the audience of this passage. And what Paul says is, as a Christian, Jesus has set you free. But he has set you free to choose to whom you will be enslaved. Let me unpack that a little bit. If we understand, or if we want to understand what Paul is talking about when he says, 
you have been set free, we need to understand what he means by the word freedom. You know, most of the time in America, what we think about, uh, when we think about the word freedom, it's, it's a huge value in America, is we think about having no external influences, no government or power over us telling us how to do life. That freedom in America means nobody tells you what to do, you do whatever you want to do, and nobody gets in your way. Which, interestingly enough, is why there has been such a battle about the whole, should you wear masks or shouldn't you? Can the government tell you to wear a mask? That's where this comes from, right? This is the American value. Freedom is nobody can tell you what you want to, what you are to do, right? That you can wear a mask if you want, you cannot wear a mask if you don't want, and it's all up to you. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Within the church, we have also adopted, and we have equated the American value of freedom, which is nobody can tell you what to do, with Paul in Galatians 5. But here's the thing. Paul's not talking about what we call freedom in America. Verse uh, 17, Paul says this. He says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit to what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. And catch this. Here's the important part. So that you are not to do whatever you want. For Paul, freedom is not freedom from external influence or, or oversight. It's not being set free to do whatever you want. Paul would call that being enslaved to the flesh. What we call freedom in America, Paul would call being enslaved to the flesh. What Paul says is freedom in Christ is freedom to pick your master. Will you be mastered by the flesh or will you be mastered by the spirit of God? That's what he means by freedom. Formerly you were enslaved by the flesh. Jesus has set you free to choose. This is what freedom is. And what he's saying is, remember follower of Jesus, that choosing to do whatever you want is choosing to be mastered by the flesh. In effect, what Paul is saying is, truth does not reside in your flesh. You know, there's this popular idea in our world today that if you want to know what's really true, just look inside yourself. That you can just search deep within yourself and if you look in your heart of hearts, you will find what is true. And so because of this idea, we have generation upon generation of people who believe that truth just resides within them and they make nonsensical statements like that's my truth and that's your truth. You know, we, we have all these crazy ideas that conflict with one another and we say, well, they're both true. That's true for you. This is true for me. And so we're forced to say silly things like what's true for you may not be true for me and what's true for me may not be true for you. And it's a nonsensical idea. And what we've done is we've taken the word truth and we've just redefined it to mean my subjective ideas. What I like. That's truth. We've bankrupted the, the definition of the word truth such that the word truth is meaningless anymore. The reason that this happens is because we have not understood the Bible teaches that truth is not an idea Truth is not a thought. 
Truth is a person. Truth is a person named Jesus. This is the missing piece in our culture. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, the Spirit, uh, Jesus says that the Spirit will guide you into all truth. Why? Because the Spirit testifies to Jesus, who is the truth. When we seek truth, we don't look inside ourselves and search our heart of hearts. We don't look at what makes us feel good. We don't search our feelings and, and, and may look for what makes us happy. When we want to know truth, we go for a person named Jesus. Jesus is truth. It's important also to note that the decision between the flesh and the spirit it is a decision that you are free to make regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances. There's a movie in 2012. I hope you all saw it uh, because it's about aviation and I like such things. Um, but called Flight. Uh, it had Denzel Washington in it and he played Captain Whitaker. And if you saw the movie, Captain Whitaker was an alcoholic and uh, as the movie begins, Captain Whitaker is, is uh, drinking while he's flying an airplane. And then in the flight, a mechanical malfunction takes place. And in the mechanical malfunction, the airplane is almost certainly going to crash. And it rolls upside down and, and all this stuff happens. And Captain Whitaker, yeah, just seemingly out of nowhere, saves the airplane because he's an amazing pilot. And so only a few people die, but most of the people in the airplane survive. And Captain Whitaker is lauded as a hero until the investiga investigation begins to take place. And so the investigation gets going and it turns out that perhaps Captain Whitaker maybe was intoxicated and, and the investigation digs deeper and deeper and uh, the lies get greater and greater and Captain Whitaker is trying to protect himself and so he's lying and he's using alcohol, but then using drugs to counteract the alcohol. And eventually it, it comes to this point where he's forced to choose whether he will tell the truth or proceed in a lie. And he tells the truth. And he gets to the place where Captain Whitaker is in prison. And he says, I'm the freest I've ever been. I'm the freest I've ever been. Freedom, in Paul's mind, works like this. It's a man in prison who has told the truth, who feels free. No matter what the external circumstances of your life, you are always free to choose to either serve the flesh or serve the spirit. One leads to bondage, the other to life. No matter, uh, the person who serves the flesh is in bondage even if nobody tells him what to do. The person who serves the Spirit is free, even if he's shackled behind bars. Paul says we're free to choose our master. If we're followers of Jesus, that means we choose to serve the Spirit. But how do we know that we're serving the Spirit? How do we know uh, that we're not serving the flesh? Or how can we decide? Well, what Paul says is the way you can tell 
which master you serve is by the fruit it produces. You know, all of us struggle at times, right, to know if we're serving the Lord, uh, if the choices we're making are in service of the flesh or in service of the spirit, and our flesh is so deceptive. It's so easy to trick ourselves into believing we're serving the Lord when actually we're just serving ourselves. You know, Paul uses a metaphor in this passage of planting and growing fruit. You know, when you plant fruit, when you you plant seed and you water it and you tend the ground and you care for it and you prune it and you invest in it, and after you have served this plant, eventually it produces fruit. And what Paul says is, the way you can tell you're growing the plant in your life that is the spirit versus the flesh is by the fruit it produces. The fruit it produces. You know, these two lists, right? The acts of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And if you want to know what, you, what, uh, what plant you're growing, look at the fruit in your life. That's what Paul says. This is how you can tell who you're serving. Now, I want to make just an evaluation from these two lists, a brief uh, observation, okay? You can look at these lists and evaluate them based on how they or what they do to relationships between people. You can always look at how relationships between people function and determine whether someone is serving the flesh or the spirit. When you're serving the flesh, it breaks down healthy relationship. Have you ever been, those of you who are married, has your relationship ever been really helped by you living selfishly, by serving yourself, or is it helped by serving one another? It also tears down the image of God in other people. You know, we could spend a whole lot of time unpacking all of these, and I'm sure you've all heard sermon upon sermon about the fruit of the Spirit. I don't want to spend too much time in these lists, but I do want to look at just a few to make one point, okay? The the few that I want to look at is this section uh, right there in, in verse 20 that begins, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Now, these are all fruits or or, or the, the acts of the flesh, right? Something about all of these acts that they have in common is that they come by thinking, I myself am God, and everyone should believe that. All of these things come out of that, right? It's a clear indication that we've stopped serving the Spirit and we're serving our flesh as God. They all create an emotional pecking order, right? They all create this this idea that, you know, uh, envy. Well, I envy someone who's ahead of me, and I hate the one who's ahead of me. And, And fits of rage are the response when I don't get my way. And selfish ambition is seeking glory for myself. That these all come out of a place of thinking that I'm God and everyone should serve me. They create a pecking order and a need for us to be at the top. And the emotional outburst, if we're not. Fits of rage come when people don't acknowledge you as God. That's the problem. This is all naturally built into our corrupt flesh. The only way out of the cycle 
is if we get off the throne of our lives, put God there, and serve his desires and his interests. It's the only way forward. And just a note briefly about the fruit of the Spirit before I move forward. I've heard people say things like this. Well, you know, I'm pretty good at love and joy and peace, but self-control I'm just really, really bad at, you know. So I'm going to need to work on self-control. But this comes from a, a misreading of this passage. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is collective. It's all the same. So, so Paul doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. It all comes together. What Paul is saying is that if you choose to serve the Spirit instead of the flesh, all of these fruits grow together. That serving the Spirit produces all of this. Not one or two, it's all of them. And if you choose to serve the flesh instead of the Spirit, it's not that just one or two of them fade away. They all fade away. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because if you understand this, it can serve as a warning light on the dashboard. Paying attention to these things can tell you whether you're walking with the Spirit. You know, you can if you see a decrease in any of these things, Perhaps you've grown a little less loving or your fuse is a little bit shorter. You're a little less patient. Because they're a package deal, if you find that you're less patient, you can rest assured that they probably all are on the decline. And perhaps there's a place in your life where you're walking in accordance with the flesh and not the spirit. This can serve as an early warning light on the dashboard of your life. You know, maybe you have a hard time gauging some of them, but some of them you see really closely. I know in my own life, if I become short-fused, I can rest assured that I'm being less loving, I'm less joyful, I'm less peaceful. Likely, there's a place where I'm serving the flesh. Because I know that I am less patient, right? Or if I find an area in my life where I'm less joyful, I can rest assured that probably they're all on the decline. You can use this to determine, it's a pretty good indicator of whether you're serving the spirit or the flesh. And when you notice, you can repent, you can turn around, you can do something different. Pay attention to these places, especially in interactions with people. If you are rude to a server, it may be an indicator. A better place to pay attention is within the household of the people that you live with, who see you all the time, and who see how you are when you can't put on a show. So we know that we want to be people who, who serve the spirit instead of the flesh, and we know that we can tell by the fruit that's produced, but Sometimes fruit can take a while, which is why Paul says in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says that Christians are those who have chosen to put the flesh to death and walk with the Spirit. But that's far more than just making a once-for-all decision. 
That we don't just decide, well, I'm going to serve the Spirit now and it's all done. It's a moment-by-moment decision that you keep in step at every step. That's why he says keep in step. The picture here, if it's helpful to you, is of if you think about soldiers marching. I looked it up. In basic training, they teach you how to march. And I was blown away by the amount of things that you have to take into account when you are learning to march. If you think about it, it makes sense, right? When do we start? Which foot do we start on? How big are the steps? What do we do whenever we stop? Who decides all these things? And forget about turning. How do we turn, right? There's all these things that we have to, so there's so much intentionality that goes into military training so that it can be crisp and precise and that everybody steps the same foot at the same time. It involves everyone paying attention to what the commanding officer is saying and to what's happening around them so that they can march in step. This is the picture of what Paul is talking about. We are to be so attentive to the Spirit that we can walk in lockstep with the Spirit. It means that at all times we're paying attention to what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. At every step, every time we lift our foot, we're wondering what God is doing. So that when He moves, we move. And when He stops, we stop. We walk in lockstep. Listen, this is how we want to do our collective lives. This is why a core value of ours is to join what God is doing. We want to walk in step with the Spirit. That's our personal lives, but it's also our collective life as Vineyard Altoona. That we want to be a people who keep in step with the Spirit of God. This is where the message connects with where I think we're going as a church. I told you that we were going to talk about this a couple weeks ago and and earlier. Um, One of the things that I think God is doing in our church, and I believe in the church at large, is inviting us back into a place of dependence on the Spirit. Listen, COVID was this huge uh, sort of uh, watershed moment for so many churches. That so many of us in the church, we had sort of gotten this mixture of serving the Spirit of God, but serving the flesh alongside. And if you're, if you're not convinced, just think about how often the church of Jesus Christ, especially in the last 20 years, has exhibited hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissonance, uh, or dissensions, factions, and envy. That's not to mention the sexual immorality and all the things that have threatened the church over and over and over. That we've become, the church, big C, a mixture of serving the flesh and serving the spirit. And so the COVID pandemic forced everyone into dependence on God. Because all of the normal creature comforts and all the things that we've sort of come to and know and expect about the way church works stopped. Our, the the vineyard as a whole, just as an example, changed the way the annual census form worked because church attendance didn't make sense when you couldn't meet. All the things that we came to expect stopped. 
And the only way that one could navigate the pandemic is in attentiveness to the Spirit of God or by copycatting another church that was attentive to the Spirit. But as I think about what it means for us to come out of pandemic life, as the the pandemic will gradually draw to a close, and we begin to think about how we engage the world as a church again, the sense that I have is that God is still inviting us into deeper dependence and, and more of a lockstep with the Spirit of God. As a church staff, one of the agreements we've made through the summer, is that we are going to ruthlessly evaluate everything we put back in place by whether or not God intends for us to do it. The pandemic put everything, like this table, the pandemic put everything on the table that is Vineyard Altoona. And I believe God intends for us to evaluate each piece of the church before we put it back in place. And so I believe we're in a season until about December where people are figuring out what a post-pandemic life looks like. And I see this season as a season of preparation and of rebuilding. And I see it as a season where all of us, the church at large, and each of us individually exercise a higher level of dependence on God the, the, the nature of which we've learned in this season of pandemic. God is inviting us deeper in to walking in step with the Spirit.